0: Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's must nice a to come down, Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. God, oh. hmm. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. G'day and welcome to The Educated Hunter. First of all, I'd like to apologise if I sound a little bit dusty this morning. I caught up with a couple of our Ultimate OE graduates who have just got out of the mountains in Canada and they were having a few beers. I made the mistake of trying to keep up with them and for those of you out there who are pushing through the 30s like I am, will understand that we don't bounce back quite as well as we used to. So that explains the slight rasp in my voice. But in terms of this week's podcast, Curran catches up with Sean Monk. Sean is a prominent New Zealand hunter. He's got a popular YouTube channel. He is prominent on social media, very active on social media, and hunts, I think, for a lot of the right reasons. So Curran does a really good job at diving into why Sean hunts, where he gets his motivation from, and some of his philosophies when it comes to mentoring new hunters. It was a conversation that I really enjoyed editing. Um, I learned a lot about Sean, and I think you guys as an audience will also enjoy it. Without going too much into the conversation itself, we may as well just rip straight into it. I'd like to introduce Sean Monk and Curran Island.
1: Here I are. I've got... um, Here I are. It's really good English to start that off with. Um, But I'm here with Sean, Sean Monk, and I'm sure there'll be quite a few of our listeners and people that are new to joining with us that have at least seen Sean's photos and a few stories on social media in the past, but probably not many actually know Sean. I've been lucky enough to do a couple of hunts with Sean, um, all based around pig hunting. Obviously, it's a common interest of us, um, but I know there's a lot more story with Sean, so... I'm glad to have him here for this podcast. Uh, I I feel like the conversation today is going to be slightly lighter than our other podcasts that recent, Um, partly because I think Sean just shares a passion for getting out there and going hunting. Politics are a part of it, and I'm sure we will touch on things like that, but out and out, I just know that Sean just likes getting on the hills, resetting for the week ahead of him, and um, getting into it. So we'll get into it. So Sean, how did... How did you get into hunting? Like, Where did that begin for you?
2: Well, I've actually not known anything any different, to be honest, because I started hunting right from the get-go when I was a a kid because I was born in an area where um, there was a lot of hunting to be done, I I suppose. I was born in South Westland and uh, raised in the Paringa Valley. Um, Some people would probably know the Paringa Valley because it's a reasonably well-known area for red deer. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people like to tick that valley off as a place they've hunted. It's iconic, isn't it? Yeah. And um, my uncle farmed the valley, so we had opportunities there. And with a private hut that that we had in that valley, and I have some really fond memories of my uncle taking me up to that hut and, and doing some red deer hunting with him back in those early days. Also, my grandfather was a, a hardcore hunter. Well, he was a farmer and a hunter. <laughs> and um, he used to shoot a lot of deer on horseback. And he had a lot of great stories. And I'm not too sure how many of those stories were true, but they were good stories. Yeah,
1: yeah. Don't let the, what is it? Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story.
2: Exactly. And they, they were they were kind of hard farming men that, that also included a lot of hunting in their, mm-hmm. their world. And... So I guess I just fell into it because of of those things, and um, not so much that I decided to become a hunter. Yep. I think it just happened uh, naturally, followed a natural path. And so,
1: and so, you referenced the, your grandfather and uncle. Mm. So they they are sort of, I guess, hunting mentors from a, an origination point of view.
2: Yeah, they more so than than my father. But my father did a lot of hunting as well, um, mostly for commercial purposes. So um, I remember doing a lot of work with Dad. um, Well, Dad was doing the work and we were kind of kids helping out. Mm -hmm. Um, He did a bit of deer trapping, uh, possum skins and other things along with... um, He was actually a commercial crayfishman in those days. Mm -hmm. He's retired from that now. And so going around and doing doing possums, um, setting deer traps, building deer traps, um, all of those adventures. Uh, mm. When we were kids, they, they felt like adventures for us, but I guess for Dad, they were uh, commercial ventures. Yeah, yeah. And they were money-making. They, and they were probably really tight times for um, those people in, in that era through the um, 80s. Um, I guess you know, there wasn't a lot of money in the country. The population of New Zealand was a lot lower, Um Where we lived, we lived out of our garden on the fish we caught, we also lived on hunted meat, we had a milking cow, our own (laughs) cow, a house cow, we had no electricity coming to that area, so we had a diesel generator, White baiting was a big part of our culture, and so white bait made up part of that commercial kind of ventures to make up um, when the crayfishing wasn't wasn't going and the sea was mm-hmm. too rough or and kids yeah, so all of those things were part of our, our growing up hmm. as kids down there. It's just
1: like arguably, and I know it's not for everybody, you'd just say there'd be a lot of people actually probably pretty jealous of that for a childhood. You know, like it's the like you say, the adventure side of it as a young kid, like I'd only imagine, you know, i I consider my youth I mean, as a young kid pretty adventurous but it was more climbing trees and pretending to shoot birds from my mys and so forth like that whereas yours was pretty much first hand in the wild west so uh, that's that's pretty cool so it started um did it start with big game or did you sort of follow that traditional path of rabbits and possums and build up I guess
2: yeah well being on the west coast and in the high rainfall area rabbits weren't much of an animal down there so the, the pukeko was our rabbit <laughs> and um, my, I remember my grandfather taking me out, and, and when I was very young, and and I watched him shooting pukekos, and then we'd use the pukekos to catch eels, and all of those sort of things were my early childhood experiences. And setting possum traps, and um, then moving on to um, some of my own hunting as a, a young child was. Um, uh, a box with a string and and you'd sit there in the bush and hide waiting for, and put some bread under the box (laughs) and you'd wait for wax eyes to go on, the wax eyes would go on and you'd pull the stick out really quickly and the box would fall on and then you'd go and uh, grab the birds and let them go again and um, so that was sort of that early sit and stalk type uh, experience that that you you learnt a bit of patience and things from a young age. One of the other um, things that we did from an early age was a um, a vine in the bush on the west coast called supplejack, and Jack is a very bendy vine. And and if you cut a piece of supplejack, and my dad and my grandfather taught me these things, and you'd um, you could put a string on the supplejack and make a homemade bow. And then we'd get a toy toy, um, a pampas grass stick, <laughs> yeah. and the, the toy toy. If you put a nail in in the end of it and tape the nail in around the sharp way pointing out you could actually make quite a proficiently bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah. And so we used to um stalk pure Kikos And I can lay claim to two pure in my life. Um, so that was uh, learning to chase pure hard out. And, and I missed hundreds when yeah. I was a kid. And I got two in my life with the, the super jack bow and arrow. Um, and uh, the old wood pigeon was a bit easier but no, we can't talk about that so much but yeah, my yeah, mum anyway. would, yeah, yeah. would still kick my butt if she ever heard about it she yeah. would tell us, you're not allowed, the wood pigeon <laughs> so I guess, um,
1: you know, I, I know personally but you, you eventually transitioned to the other coast uh, for university, was it? originally to boarding school in Omaru oh, in Omaru, okay, yeah and did you, did you continue to hunt at that point?
2: Well, we in the holidays, we would be able to go to the other kids' farms up mm-hmm. in central Otago, to mostly to get us to work, to do uh, tailing <laughs> yeah, and things yeah, like labor. that. So yeah. we started some of those experiences on, on farms in Otago. And Otago was so different to growing up in a rainforest area like the West Coast that um, that tussock country had a real affinity for me that it was so different to where I grew up. And, and I got to really enjoy that country a lot. And I still really enjoy that country mm. today. And I guess going to school down there, I made a few contacts um, and have continued to hold some of those contacts to mm-hmm. be able to continue to, to go down and, and meet with people that I have known in the past and new people I've met along the way. So that's been a, a, an area that I really enjoy travelling to, to to go that find is, hunters. It is a beaches. beautiful
1: area. Um, as you know, and most people that are listening will know, I'm a... Big fan of Otago and Central Otago in particular, and uh, so then you transitioned to Lincoln. Is that where you started the pig hunting per
2: term? Well, um, yeah, I went to Lincoln University to do an agricultural science degree, and um, that was uh, an interesting times. So it was a much bigger, bigger uh, place than uh, I'd come <laughs> from, uh, even though there's not many people in that, in that area it's still. It still seemed a lot for me, and yeah. coming from a, a primary school that had nine children, and then transitioning oh, probably all to, varying ages, were they? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole school, the yeah. whole school, and and then transitioning to a larger school in, in Omera and then then to uh, university. Um, yeah, I was sort of uh, running rampant, really. But <laughs> I <it> was <laughs> trying <and> to catch me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What we we started, that, and that moves into the period of the probably the early to mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you know, we were were really keen to get out hunting as well as do our rugby and university stuff. And um, a friend of mine, Craig Doreen, also went to university with me and we used to hit the hills as much as we possibly could in the Canterbury area. Mm -hmm. And do you think we could find a deer? It it was so difficult. And, you know, we did many, many trips. We would find more chamois than we did deer. Mm -hmm. And it was at a time when I think uh, the helicopters had, yeah, had really, the, the medicine the, price was yeah. high. Um, the helicopters had done a, a really proficient yeah. job of removing a lot of deer out of the hills. And the the deer numbers were at, probably at the lowest that they were since the, the beginning the of deer actually ever being in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that period of time, uh, I guess it was hard for us to, to get a deer and mm-hmm. you'd do multiple trips before you even saw one. And I tell you, when we were in our twenties, if we saw a deer or, or three deer together, mate, they were they were going down. Yeah. And and we would we would just be Under high water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and we were shocking. We we would yeah, if we saw three, we'd shoot three. Mm-hmm. And and we because we go so so long between drinks at yep. that time and the helicopters, you know, were still about mm-hmm. um commercial work. Uh, commercial people taking deer I, as look,
1: well. I, I still think and I still think it has its place and it'll make sense when I get there but I still think the majority of Kiwis that grow up with the lack of restrictive in the way we hunt I still think every hunter that's sort of getting blooded in still goes through that period they might not shoot all three but they, you still have that and I had it when you see animals there's a little bit of bravado that comes with coming home with an animal. So you're, you're quite likely to want to shoot and possibly shoot another one or get really involved in it. And I, I think that's sort of, you know, it's we're lucky to live in an environment that, it, that our hunting allows for that. Like overseas, you know, in the places I've worked and stuff, you can't do that regardless. So you get brought up with a different mentality. So they never really get to experience that. But I think it's a really good strength that us as Kiwis can go out, possibly overindulge and then mature as hunters and slow back and then appreciate watching and then pass our education on a different form. I think, I think it's a a very
2: good thing. You know? One thing it taught us was how to field shoot and, and mm. we really learned how to field shoot as opposed to practicing on target. So mm. I've never been a person to practice on targets and um, we, we learned really good shooting practices. We mm. probably made a lot of mistakes during that time and, um, you know things are not always pretty, but we we now um, the guys that I hunted with in those times um, all, we all know how to place our shots really well mm. and how to stalk game, mm-hmm. and I think we learned it from from being the the, yeah. Yeah. the, the
1: way we were yeah. back then yeah no definitely I, th- I think I think hunting's one of the few you know sports or hobbies that you only get better by doing it. Mm. And, you know, and, and part of that's the the physicality of it, but also the emotion of it too. Like, you know, you sort of start looking at things differently. Um, and, you know, the first day I saw I, in between shaking and deep breaths, you know, it was still there, thankfully, but now it's a lot more controlled and methodical, and I think that that's just
2: a progression of hunting, isn't it, and, and being a hunter. And it, it's really, it's quite amazing to watch that, and a new hunter and a young mm. person to see... The feelings that they're going through remembering that that's the same feelings that you went through mm-hmm. back then and how it's changed so much yep. for for yourself and and at during that time when deer numbers were really really low in that 90s period uh, at university at Lincoln there were a few guys that I met up with that came down from the North Island and um, a couple were from the East Coast area <laughs> and these guys were, they were clever guys, they were at university doing degrees. One was a guy called Ivor Yockney, which um, he he works for Landcare Research these days, and um, another guy, Toby May. And these, these two guys were um, really hard case characters at the time, they were, um, they talked like they were married people. Yeah, yeah. I'd never met people like this before, being from way down <laughs> yeah, south, you know, and, town. and these guys were so hard case and the... They were, uh, you know, foreign an years, Accent and 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 they were. Oh, we should go out for a pig hunt, eh? Hey? And and we're like, what? Who are these fellows? And I really liked them, and and so they took me out for pig pig hunts. These guys bought pig dogs down from the North Island, and you know they started their own little breeding programs down here while they're at university with pig dogs. And I I went out hunting with them, and you know we'd spend we'd spend you know, days looking for a deer. And you'd go on these pig hunting trips, and within an hour you'd have three pigs mm-hmm. and it was just so exciting because you would get some adrenaline was high and and there was always another pig, and it was yeah you know, you'd you'd go back with a, a few animals and mm-hmm. and have something to you know to share around the university where you're flat and have some meat and yeah student flat way yeah. more way more productive than <laughs> than the deer hunting was yeah. at that time. return on investment was high yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I guess um, that having a the dogs uh, sniffing the air and then suddenly taking off into the bush and you're wondering what the hell is going to happen next, that was the buzz of that. And, and then hearing a bale and running mm-hmm. down to running down through really rubbish country to get there. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's For whatever reason, you don't
1: seem to appreciate how rubbish it is until you've actually got to the pig, and then it's like, oh.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then I the trick him, is to forget how rubbish it was for next time. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Try and pass that mender off to somebody else.
2: Yeah, and and those, those guys, those guys, they obviously thought I was, um, I was I'd usually beat them to the pigs, so they thought I was running pretty hard, and um, eventually they decided to uh, throw a putt my way, and <laughs> I was playing uh, rugby at the time and having some you know a few drinks after the rugby and things, and yeah, I yeah, didn't well, think, I didn't think I was. Um, you know, responsible enough to have a pig dog. And so these guys forced a pup upon me and um, it was sort of the beginning of the end for me, really. <laughs> uh, what What happened yes. was that one pup just it changed my whole life. It was a serious change in my, in my life because I had to look after it. Mm-hmm. I had responsibilities to it. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't, you know, just... Ignore all of a sudden dog. you
1: lost a few hours every day Exactly,
2: <laughs> and my fitness changed i i had to run the dog and i decided to do a, you know I, I made it my my role in life was to make sure this dog had a great life mm-hmm. i didn't want it to sit around on the doorstep and get fat and i wanted to you know make sure it was really getting some adventure and mm-hmm. so we got stuck on me mm-hmm. and the dog mm-hmm. and that was my first dog and and I've sort of continued to to do that ever since, probably yeah. uh, 20, uh, maybe it's 27 years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's good though. It's good to hear, you know, stories because obviously, as pig hunters, and I, that's myself inclusive, like from the outside looking in, you know, there's always that argument that we don't care for our dogs and don't look for our dogs. But, um, you know, I live in the circumstance where my wife's actually a vet as well, so if I, if I was ever going to get my ear chewed off, I'd get it chewed off here. But, you know, like on the whole, we care more for our dogs and put more time and effort to our dogs than any other dog, you know, other than you know, in, in the working field, you know. Um, and I, I just, it's it's good to hear yourself as a public pig under, uh, whether you want to be branded that way or not, you know, talking about your care for a dog and the time and effort that it takes to put into dogs. So this doesn't happen. And um, I guess that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was when I started pig hunting, and that was 20-odd years ago now, um, I sort of felt, I feel like we've lost a little bit of what was a gentleman's sport back then. And and my reference to that is uh, when I started out, a bit like you, dogs were given to me. Um, And whenever there was the need to replace dogs or change dogs or something within a pack wasn't working, it was simply a case of making a phone call. Somebody always had something to help you out with and it was never it was never sort of any animosity around where you were hunting or what you killed that day or anything like that. It was all sort of quite supportive. And then I feel like, I don't know whether it's competition on space, you know, in terms of how much property there is to hunt. And then the, the addition of social media and imaging and stuff, like now it feels from the outside, it's kind of, it's kind of almost like an economic decision to be a pig hunter. Like if you can have a, a dog and get her up to a certain standard and have some good social media pictures, then you can sell some pups and then you'll, you know, and it's just sort of, to me, it sort of feels like it's escalating out of control. And and the unfortunate part from that is, is the public perception of pig hunters. And that, that's what kind of upsets me quite a bit because I know the pig owners, I hang out with and hunt with and talk to and interact with are actually all really good people and they do a lot of hunting like a lot more hunting than people even give them credit for and genuine hunting not just mm. you know catching them from the front of the truck you know like they actually get out there and walk and climb and stuff and I just you know what, what's your view on that like what do you how do you what have you seen change and other than being able to go out and catch however many pigs you were catching back then in a day like what are the big changes you've seen in pig hunting?
2: Yeah, like what you pointed out at the start is you, you were given a dog, you were given a pup, and and I I appreciated that so much that I have never sold a dog to anybody, and mm-hmm. I might ask for enough to cover yeah, food or some, some shots food to or, bring the pup up, some yep. shots. Um, but actually, I've always asked for that to be just voluntary. And mm-hmm. Some people mm-hmm. give you something, some people don't, and, mm-hmm. and I never worry about what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never sold a dog as such, and. Um, I've I bought one, and that was a miserable failure. <laughs> never it
1: do typically, that again. is yeah. you know, like the, one of the old guys that I used to hunt with, he goes, "Well, nobody ever sells anything good."
3: So you know, <laughs> oh,
2: I, I was under no impression that it was going to be great, but I thought I could I could do a good job with this mm-hmm. particular dog. It was just a case that the guy had too many, and I yep. wanted to help this dog out, and it, it didn't work out. Yeah, and I I think um I've. I've kept myself a little bit buffered from that dog trading kind of stuff i have never got very into it mm-hmm. and and i'm i've I've just kept clear of it because it doesn't sit that well with me yep. um I know though they're, they're a working animal to some people and and that's um that's nice f- that they have a value to those people mm-hmm. but to me the their value is different mm-hmm. it's not a monetary value for me it's and and you know, I, I I do get asked by people because they see an online yeah, presence, no and they they think that because I put some pictures of some pigs, the dogs mm-hmm. must be fantastic. And mm-hmm. the truth is, they are not fantastic mm-hmm. dogs; they're just mm-hmm. mediocre dogs. And they're the other dogs I like. Yeah. Um, and
1: well, people people get caught up like, and I know I know your dogs. I know they're very capable, but as you are a genuine hunter, I know that you'll have no problem with me saying this, you don't put up the films of all the walks that don't go so well and don't be so successful, you know what I mean? Like it's, Exactly. It's, it, it's part it's of the fair, bigger picture.
2: The yeah. the videos that you show and the pictures, it's all the fair weather hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really yeah. is because yeah. when you're having a, a really bad day, you just don't bother pulling the camera out yeah. and um, yeah. if it's wet or, um, you know, you're not catching. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Always, and you don't catch every day. You don't always catch the good boys Like, it's, those things just aren't shown. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of fair weather hunting shown on videos for sure. Um, I guess also the changes in tracking gear. When I started out, I had no tracking gear at all, and the type of dogs that we had then have changed a little bit. I've mm-hmm. always I've always bred from that that original dog that I got given is actually the basis of all my dogs today. Really? So That's that cool. same dog as the one that um, has as the you know, the great grandma of the pups I run today. Yeah, current, yeah. um, she was relatively short legged and turned out on the shoulder and, mm-hmm. and a bit harder and, mm-hmm. and a holding style dog. Yeah, um, short range and mm-hmm. I, over time they have evolved into a much longer legged, mm-hmm. faster, leaner um, baling type dog. Yeah, well
1: partly and partly. You know, based on the country you hunt now and the, but the population of pigs, like, like I, I'm a massive believer in you running the dogs that suit the kind of country and the population you're hunting like. And, uh, you, know, you know, I run bailing dogs, as, as you do, and I know guys that say, oh, I don't even run holders. I was like, yeah, but they suit the country you're hunting. Like, you know, I, I enjoy sneaking in on a bale, you know, regardless of the size of the pig. And I like to think that my dogs go and find at some distance it 's nice when they get the handy ones too don 't like you know I 'd never turn them down but yeah it's just it's just an
2: evolution isn't it The, the evolution is also based a lot around the tracking gear mm-hmm. i I think i I would have been frustrated if I had um really short ranging dogs with the type of tracking gear that we 've got now and the country mm-hmm. that I hunt that um, I would I'd think oh that dog's not going far enough mm-hmm. and that's that's in the le- length of the leg and the dog and their speed mm-hmm. and agility and and uh, that's that's a result of also having the tracking gear to back that up yeah and without that tracking gear I, I would I very quickly revert back to a to a different type of dog
1: yeah and even I myself you know like I again started without tracking gear and then transitioned to sewer tracks, the the big antenna one, but it was too big to carry. So you left it in the truck until you lost the dogs and you went back to the truck and got it and then tried to find the dogs, which always turned into one or two day event. Um, And then the transition to the GPS, like it even changed, and I was by no means an expert, but it even changed the way I hunted because all of a sudden I could see what the dogs were up to and where I thought they might've been keen or, you know, I I used my maps historically so I can find areas where they have picked up trails Repetitively, like not, not always catching pigs in the same area, but picking up trails repetitively. And then, so when I was hunting properties and it were different places, I was able to concentrate my my effort around where pigs were traditionally moving and stuff like that. And I was sort of like, I, it's changed the way I've hunted. You know, really I sort of, I guess I probably, prior to the GPS gear, I hunted and walked where I assumed there'd be pigs. And now I probably go more where the dog's, assume or are, are, are leading me towards where there's pigs you know exactly and, um, which is which is good i mean it's what what we're there for but it's definitely changed and i i sort of wonder if that's brought about the i don't know the, the amount of pigs that are killed nowadays like you know like are we getting more because we know where our dogs are we see the the inkling that they're getting we're you know picking up on them a bit further i don't know there's, there's definitely a change
2: Pig hunters are more efficient with that equipment for sure, and definitely the the pigs coming home on the the tra- truck are probably a lot more numerous overall. Yeah. Hunters with with that gear, and you know, when we didn't have tracking gear, your dogs would would disappear into the bush, and then you'd you'd assume that they went into the wind, so you'd <laughs> walk that way first. But if they were on a on a back trail going the other way, you had no idea. And so you'd walk the other way for an hour first, and yep. if you couldn't hear them barking, you'd walk back the other the way other for an hour <laughs> hour and then <laughs> carry on. And, <laughs> yeah. and so by just the time you figured it out, your dogs had come off and come home. Yep. So you you missed out on on a lot of pigs yep. at, at that time, and and that and that was the way it was. And yeah, it's yeah. And and now when when they go flat and, and you not or you don't have your gear, yeah, you, you call it Indian style you know? <laughs> yeah, Indian yeah. hunting. Well, it's, but
1: it's 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 funny how like. A, a collar going flat or a unit going flat or the loss of communication almost sort of spikes a little bit of fear and it's like, well, I did it for years without it, but now all of a sudden it's a problem. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. We're hooked. Know, we're, we're, yeah, we're hooked for sure, yeah. We're we're quite happy with the complacency that can come with it, you know. And it's um but that's right. And so so nowadays obviously uh, you do a lot of pig hunting, but I know you also dabble your toes in other species here and there. Uh red stags being one. You know, you still enjoy Hunting the red stags, both I guess alpine and on the west coast. I know you, just, well, I know with some regularity you still go back to the west coast during the roar and you know try and get that elusive west coast stag. That's still still a passion of yours.
2: Exactly. I I still actually I, I accidentally became a pig hunter and I <laughs> I never really consider myself to be a pig <laughs> hunter. I I started out with deer hunting and and that's probably still my main passion. The pig hunting is. Just something that turned up along the way and I I guess I, I, I always laugh about the fact that I still run a curved skinning knife as my pig sticker and I'm, well, I say well I'm not actually a pig hunter so I, I've always been a bit of a mixed grill approach so um, I, I'll be pig hunting one morning and then in the afternoon I'll, I'll be out looking for a deer mm-hmm. and I will do pig hunting is, is as really good bog standard every weekend yep. type hunting. Yep. Whereas I love some epic adventures adventure. as well. Yep. So it's adventures that really lead me into the the red stag, the Himalayan tar hunting, the mm-hmm. the chamois hunting, chamois hunting. Yep. I I do those things because of adventure. Yep. And I mean, I, I just love being in, in those alpine environments mm. and West coast bush and something different. Yep. And, I just enjoy those sort of more epic adventures, yep, and aye. it's really different type of hunting. And my, I'm I'm actually a, a guy that just likes to hunt for meat. I guess my the the, the biggest part of my life that was that, that made me feel like I'd succeeded was when I bought myself a walk-in chiller. <laughs> 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 and and having a walk in Chile, you, you can see that in, in my own butchery area yeah. has, has been a big goal of mine and that's yeah. because I'm essentially a meat hunter. Yeah. And and the pig hunting and, and deer hunting locally is all about harvesting meat mm-hmm. and putting meat on the table and sharing that around with other people in the community and my family and yep. That's really important to me. Yep. And then there are the adventures. And the adventures are a whole different story because the adventures are not so much about harvesting meat for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's more about uh, getting exercise, yep. having a really good look around some new places, seeing amazing scenery, camping out, all of those things. Uh, there are hardships living and in, 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 mm-hmm. you know, camping in those environments. And and those hardships are, are the other things that make you forget your job for a while. Yeah, yeah, your no, real job. I, I I totally
1: agree, and I think there's a little bit of that is good for humans as a whole. You know, like we don't appreciate what real cold is or real hunger is, and all those sorts of things. I think when we get away and backpack and and be remote, um we get that little bit closer to that. I'm not saying we're that bravado filled that we stay in minus 30 degrees and it's this and that, but it's a little bit closer than our day to day. You can't just have another music bar because you only got what you carry on your back and, you know, and you've basically got to stay dry because being wet will add to your You're being cold and, you know, there's repercussions with that. And I just think all those sort of things are really good life skills that us hunters, you know, are fortunate enough to be involved in. There's a lot of population out there that, don't probably appreciate that sort of stuff, you know, and I, I, I'm all for it, I'm a bit like yourself, I, before my pig hunting, I hunted any species, like I was up for any sort of challenge, and then when the dogs came along, not only was it instant impact, like it was exciting, it was adrenaline, but then my responsibility to the dogs took over, so it wasn't a case of still being able to do everything, because the dogs needed to run, so they sort of became priority. And then it transitioned to the fact that if I took a week off pig hunting to go deer hunting, I spent all the time deer hunting thinking, oh my God, I hope those boys don't catch a big pig while I'm not there. <laughs> those sorts of things have faded away now, but I definitely remember there was a period, so I guess through my, my 20s, where I got that addicted to pig hunting. I was worried about what everyone else was catching when I wasn't out there. So it's um, it is, it's a funny transition. But, but the alpine stuff, and I know you have um, actually quite a lot of success with the stags um in the
2: alpine sort of pre raw um is that like a hunt that you quite enjoy it is it, it's the reason i do it most is because it fits into my lifestyle in my my work my my work and, and my job that i do outside hunting mm-hmm. um the one that pays the bills the one that pays the bills <laughs> the hunting <laughs> yeah. the, the hunting yeah. the, the job is the reason i yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have money to go hunting i yeah. guess but the those adventures of you know at, at those times I do them as much as I can, and, and one of those periods that suits me really well is to go during a, a time and and mm-hmm. that late part of summer that's just really suitable for me, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, it's more around that that's a good time for me to have adventures, and I'm I'm not, it's not that I'm going out there to specifically target uh, those red stags at that certain time, and it just evolved over over time that. During that that time period, I I had more success in seeing reasonable yeah, yeah. stags, and stuff so and it is a nice time involved. to hunt.
1: The weather's still you know a little bit more on your side, and you know you can climb around a bit further and a bit faster, and you know carry lighter gear. And like I know, I know where the hesitation comes around talking about it because there there is those that are opposed to shooting the stags pre raw, but and I understand it too. Like I fully get it, but then. I know enough about your hunting. It's not like you then go out and stack up ten other stags as well. Mm. Like your one stag might have been your one stag, you know. And I, so for me, it's I don't have any, you know, sort of issues with what you're doing. It's um, what I probably have an issue with when guys aren't educated. I don't know if "educated" is the right word, but aren't watching enough and aren't thorough enough when they still shoot them on the soft stage. That's a little bit disappointing. But that's only a personal thing. It's not a I'm not preaching. I've done it. I've shot velvet stags, soft velvet stags, but you know.
2: It for me personally, I I I really don't mind because I I think those guys if they're younger guys that haven't been in the sport so long and or in the sport and the lifestyle of hunting so long, that that's the opportunity they saw and and that's the opportunity they took and you know, they can probably get a velvet stag mounted and be very, very proud and happy of that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not for for me to say that someone can or can't do that. The opportunities here in New Zealand are are so broad that there's no one saying this Mm. is what you should and shouldn't do. And um, people do say that, um, but it's it's really everyone's ethics develop over time and I guess there are mentoring opportunities where people can Help to say to some some people, well, mm-hmm. this is what I like to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe that's the way you could think as well. And i I've core I've probably got more flack personally from the summer stag hunting than I have mm. from pig hunting, which is yeah. quite amazing. Yeah. Um. And and some of that is around um, meat wastage, and yeah. I guess uh, adventure backpack lightweight hunting, um, whether it's tar hunting yeah. for trophy bulls even in the rut period, um, and, and red stag hunting. No there's not one, you know, true uh, alpine hunter out there that, that mm-hmm. could say they haven't wasted meat. It's mm-hmm. there's no rules in New Zealand to say we have yeah, to take like, it. Yeah, it's, it's and and I, I don't like doing it, but if I'm gonna walk around the mountains for for since since I've been a child and mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I've I've been doing a lot and seen a lot of animals and I have not shot many great stags or mm-hmm. that I believe are great stags. If I see something and no, that's a really good looking animal, man, I'm going to take that opportunity and mm-hmm. no one no one's going to take that mm-hmm. away from me just well, that's because the hunter, you? That's, yeah
1: yeah
3: that's,
2: yeah, yeah I, and and that's those opportunities I, I have taken but I, I have been careful about um about taking them when they are definitely hard mm-hmm. um, and i guess i have some responsibility in promotion of of that kind of hunting as well just through showing so videos sure, yeah. that were successful yep. in mm-hmm. that kind of hunting and and people have have probably seen that and been excited and, and young guys and but that's that's all part of promoting the sport mm-hmm. and and getting people out there if, it, mm-hmm. if it's exciting and gets people on the hills it's all good it is a good thing
1: and that, and and I, we, we, you know, we advocate for that. Like, we're at a point now where hunters need to accept other forms of hunting and other hunters' ethics and morals and so forth. And, and like, within reason, obviously, we don't, you know, I'm not saying support the really bad stuff, but we, we as hunters need to encourage other hunting. You know, that's, you know, we're wrong if we think we should fight amongst ourselves. Um, but, that, but that's right. So you touched on there, um, around mentoring and stuff so i know based on your social media and from knowing you personally that you you actually put a lot of effort into taking not only young children i shouldn't say young children or young adults but foreigners and just just people new to hunting you you actually take the time and the effort your own resources to to make that happen and and create opportunities for people that are new to the sport uh willing to learn so where where does that come from like where. I guess, where, where is your drive to share in that form? Because, you know, it's easy for everybody to say, oh, yeah, I'd really encourage people to get into hunting, but there's not many guys fill their own truck up, take them out to their own spot, let them shoot or, what, what, you know, participate in whatever form it is they're doing and then help them butcher the meat up and take it all home. Like, I know there's a few, but there's not many. Mm. Um, so why is it that you have taken that on, I guess, personally?
2: Um, I'm an old man now. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I am in my mid forties and I guess I have been doing that kind of thing that you talked about taking other people out for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm not, as you mentioned at the start, I'm not a really political person in hunting and I, I don't know how to approach the politics side of things to make a difference for the future of hunting. I, I think I can get better at that stuff over time and, and contribute to that side of things. Um, But I know that I can contribute to the future of hunting. I can contribute to the future of hunting by simply doing that, taking Mm -hmm. young guys out and showing them um, how I go about hunting and Mm -hmm. hopefully my kind of um, standards and things like that can be passed on to those people so that they can continue on the hunting of the future. And that's as good as standing up and Being all political Mm -hmm. and trying Mm -hmm. to fight battles and with the government or whatever, I I think just taking people out and and getting new people into the into the recreation of hunting is is just as good. And Mm -hmm. literally, it is hundreds that I've taken. Yeah, yeah. On a first pig hunt, first deer hunt, and opportunities for overseas people is just in my workplace I work in um, agricultural science work and we have a lot of overseas people come to work for us on um, student placements mm. and these guys have no money yeah, yeah. And, and I feel sorry for them so I take them out and if they get a pig or a deer that's their meat into their the freezer, and yeah, they yeah. really appreciate it and they have a great time and, and enjoy the hunt and I end up with friends for life all around yep. the world and, and yep. I have visited some of these people in different mm-hmm. countries and, and and they welcome me like a king mm-hmm. um, when I get there and all I've had to do is give them a dirty old pig <laughs> <laughs> yeah well but you gave them so much more than that though, didn't you like you gave them the experience and the
1: learning and the the opportunity to to I guess break the norm in their life you know and I I think it's it's a massive thing I remember um, one of the pig hunts I went with you and uh, one of your friends there had I think a couple of kids there anyway and they were only little, like eight or nine or thereabouts, and uh, it was probably one of the better anatomy lessons I've ever had, anyways. <laughs> and uh, but just to see these little kids like get their hands involved and point out different bits and and have turns at carrying, and and even one of the kids I remember didn't have a turn at carrying because he didn't want to, and I was like, well, that's good. There's a lesson in that too, you know. And I just think there was so much lesson in there, and you know, we live in a in a day and age where I, it, there's less physical activity. I mean, there's, there is still sport. I don't, I, you know, I'm definitely not knocking that. But there's less physical activity to the point of exertion, which I think is pig hunting, but hunting in particular is um, something that's really good for that. Like I, I've been living in a good paddock since I had my daughter and I went for a couple of pig hunts the other day. And whilst I've been biking to keep my dogs fit, I haven't actually been getting to that point of exertion. And then when the dogs were bailing, I got to that point of exit pretty quick. <laughs> but, um, you know, and that's the kind of thing, you know, I think it's a good thing that we get young kids out there to experience the wilderness, to experience nature, to, like I touched on, get, get really cold. Get hungry and appreciate the little bit of food they've got. Um, be quiet when they need to sneak. Be, I don't know, taste with their feet. Like, all the little bits, like, and they really matter. And I think we're missing that and we're... Getting further and further away from that being the norm. What do you think about that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah, I think you touch on a, a really good point about the exertion, and um, it, it, it takes a lot to get some young kids to be willing to go and do something. Um, people are, are not as involved in lots of activities that I reckon we used to be as kids, mm-hmm. and like likes of pig hunting probably resonates with. Some people that are probably from the least wealthy yep. parts of the community as well, and and those guys are, as as we probably see in statistics, are more likely to have the opportunities to be obese. Yeah, and so something like pig hunting, for a young guy in particular, mm-hmm. a, a kid, it's something that excites them mm-hmm. and gets them out into the bush and wants to go with the old uncle son. Yeah, yeah. That, wants to have to try and keep and up be, and be keeping up and getting there yeah. and, and getting to the pig. And, and getting excited about that stuff, and it's it's it's, it's a, and you have to get up really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. You can't stay up all night drinking. Mm-hmm. If you do, you're going to get really tired, yeah, and you learn yeah, that yeah, pretty yeah. quick.
1: And uncle's going to give you a carry the next day,
2: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And so so it's it's the the end result of you know going out and and chasing some dogs and pigs around the hill is. That's, that's from a desire for, that's being put into some young guys in particular that, that otherwise would probably not be up to much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I think it's a really important thing for the health of the nation to yep. have opportunities like that, you know, all sorts of outdoor adventure opportunities that yep. New Zealand's really good at in the past. We have,
1: we have a, yeah an amazing facility in the country that we are. Um, and it's just a shame that we're not using it. I've I've made reference uh, in an earlier podcast that it worries me that we're potentially one generation away from not knowing how to camp. And that sounds like a really big claim, but I've got friends my age that have never camped, and they've now got children almost about at high school age. So if this family doesn't camp, and then that generation now that's entering high school doesn't camp, granddad and grandma eventually pass on. Like, Like... who reinvents that wheel? Mm. And that, that worries me. And and it's, it's just a, I guess, going a little bit further on what we're talking about. But the other the other aspect, uh, not only the uh, the physical well being, like the emotional well being of having something that excites you, something that's rewarding, something that is challenging. Like you know, it's good to be challenged. Like you know, we live in in you know an amazingly beautiful country, and we've got massively high suicidal rates mm. um in a lot of rural towns mm. that actually have a lot of close proximity or access to hunting you know and it, it is it is a tool we're not really advocating or using enough you know to get people out there and get them in the environment and get them. i don't know away from the social pressures of perhaps having to have a drink like you say or having to stay out and be cool or whatever like you know um you know i, I definitely think there's a a vacant space within ourselves as hunters in New Zealand, and you're you're filling it yourself, but to be sharing more with the youth and, and getting more youth out there, you know, there'll be a spin-off in the positive for hunting as a soul, but the the initial benefit is going to go directly to the young person we take out or share with, mm-hmm. you know.
2: And it goes right through to when you help them, um, not only gut and carrying animal out, but then the butchery side of it, and then making that into meat, and then mm-hmm. giving them that meat to take back to their, their mum and dad or their uncles or mm-hmm. their family, and and that sense of pride to to get that meat on the table in their homes and, and mm-hmm. their family go, oh, this is really beautiful meat, and, mm-hmm. and that whole side of it becomes a, you know, it's a full circle, yep. and it's just a really nice part to be involved with, and I think the another there is a little bit of greed in taking young people out and, and new people out for me personally mm-hmm. in that I've, I have hunted a lot over the years and, and so, like you said earlier, you had that excitement about shooting a deer. Well, mm-hmm. that's kind of died away a, a lot mm-hmm. and you shoot a deer because you want some meat and yep. you shoot it and it dies and you carry it out and you sweat and you go home. <laughs> yeah. and, and when you take a new person out, you see the the, the the fear and the, the, emotion. the nervousness around yeah. taking a shot you see yeah. the emotion and mm-hmm. um, all of all of that stuff that they're going through and then when when they succeed you see their massive smile on their face and mm-hmm. and for me that gives me pleasure yep. to see and so there's a little bit of that kind of greed for me as yeah, I'm, I'm living reliving my moments that yeah, I yeah. Had years ago through these these new people going out and uh, yeah. It's it's a really great experience to to share that stuff and see mm. see what they go through that, that I remember from a long time ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, it, it is. It's a it's a fantastic thing. It's you know it's, it's the main it's it's the reason like with my guiding and whatnot that I've done you know in the past. So oh, that was that was what I got out of that. You know, it, you know, like when you're guiding, you're you're not shooting anything. You know, mm. you're you're always sharing it with somebody, and I know arguably some people probably deserved it more than others, but definitely like sharing with young people and new new hunters. Um, and they definitely, they gain a lot of appreciation for the respect that we actually have on the animal. Um, I actually had a conversation with a person in Australia today. This has gone a little bit off topic, but it'll come back around. Um, and they, um, they've made the decision to go vegetarian. Well, uh, actually vegan. And basically he... He he put a post out on social media to say, what is with all the the angst or the hating against vegan and vegetarianism? And I I actually put up there and I was like, well, the, I don't have a, any problem with it. Um, and, and in part, I agree with some of the values you base the decisions on around sustainability and so forth. What the, the anger or the angst I feel as a hunter is, I, I feel that much pressure to be ashamed of what I'm doing that the non-hunting community or the non-meat-eating community don't actually get to see that I live actually under pretty similar sustainability mindset. I just do it on a different method. And uh, I like I I, and I love sharing that with new hunters, even if it's not in the field, like just being able to communicate that with them, like, hey, I'm not a ruthless killer. I don't kill everything and I don't just kick it down the hill. Like I make a selection on it and I utilize it and I use it with my family and I share it. And I think it's... You know, good life skill. You know, you shouldn't. We shouldn't grow up believing that meat comes in a plastic form and a plastic wrapper. And you know, we should. You shouldn't be able to just buy it on special. Like that. That shouldn't be
2: our perception of meat. Mm. Well, I'm I'm in a lucky position to be a a grain and seed producing <laughs> guy, which so I, I actually grow crops and seeds mm. as my job as part of my job developing new crops. So I get to grow crops, right? I also get to um, hunt. I have a lifestyle block farm as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that I can go out there and grab a, a lamb from mm-hmm. my, my lifestyle property and put it in my freezer and enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and I know I, if I shoot a deer, I've, I've killed a deer, and I put it in my freezer and enjoy mm-hmm. it. When I uh, when I grow a crop of grain, I, I go out and... and Lay poison to kill yeah, pests. Yeah, yeah. I shoot <laughs> shoot birds, multiple birds, to get that crop of grain harvested, and we 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 reduce the rodents in our sheds. We store it with um, poisons, yeah. and I I always say it actually takes uh, I I kill hundreds of animals to make a bag of grain. Yet yeah, only one dies for me to make a bag of sausages. Yeah, and you use all the sausages.
1: We, you know, whereas the 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 animals that are. Animals and insects, or whatever that are killed in the in the creation of crop, uh, aren't utilised. Like it's their
2: bykill, not
1: resource. You know what I mean? Like, but that, that's a bit so just of so, weirdo- so just to be cheeky. <laughs> so just to be cheeky about
2: it, a, uh, uh, harvesting a deer out of the, the hills is more vegan than uh, eating grain. Well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would
1: advocate for that for sure, and and that, that's where I, you know, my comment around my my. Mindset around sustainability, I believe, is as moral, if not more moral, than what they believe—not what they actually do, but what they believe, because that's where it sort of sits. Um, but you just don't really get the opportunity to,
2: to I guess, bridge that conversation, because it's—you know—it's not. But anyway, we—I—I we, <laughs> I, I don't personally get too concerned about um, all of the the anti-hunting, the. Yeah, you know, the killing of animals and those things. I, I just let it all slide by me yep. personally, I, and I don't I I don't hold it to to be part of what I do to to please somebody else yep. with that stuff. So I I try to just let it slip on by. Yeah, and, yeah. and they can ignorance they can live bliss, their little dream. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we we touched on
1: um, well briefly touched on fitness in the form of going to exertion, um. Like I know yourself, you've had a reasonable knee injury. That's public, I guess. Well, I know, I know it's the real thing, and you, it's been on social media. But, but um, you know, how does somebody in their mid forties, um, you know, I know you're fit. I know you're fit. Um, you're fast. You're capable. You know, is, is, it, is it largely down to hunting? Or your frequency of hunting is that
2: the the thing is if you if you have something you're really passionate about that involves physical exertion, Mm -hmm. then I guess you're going to continue to keep some relative level of fitness to an older age, I suppose, um, by continuing to be involved in that Mm -hmm. sport or whatever you're involved in, whether that's uh, mountain biking or tramping or whatever. And in in my case, it it definitely is hunting. And um, for, for me to have a desire to go and do a really... A long five-day backpack hunt. I know I'm if I'm not fit enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna half gonna kill hurt. myself yeah. doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And and at times I get a little bit that way, but I always bring myself back with hunting. And and my and midweek I will do a few things to to try and keep my fitness and and also work on some balance and things around mm-hmm. my knee joints. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's all driven by the fact that I want to continue hunting. Yep. And so it's a I don't know. I guess uh, I've cost ACC a fair bit over time, <laughs> but but also I'm probably um, you know protecting a little bit of the future with trying uh, to to keep going and, yeah, yeah. and keep fit. And night well, you got to use it, do Yeah, and it's it's really really tough at times um, to to keep. Uh, to keep going, and, and you know, when you go through some rough patches where you're not getting much hunting done, you've got too much work on, mm-hmm. you've got some family things going on yep. that that diminish the opportunities, and you feel a bit down, yeah. and, and those things happen to, to everyone, and um, you've you've just got to pull yourself back out of it, and, yeah. and you do that by yep. by exercising and yep. and um and just finding a way to get up on a hill and, and go for it yep. and just yep. yeah and and you soon turn around again even no matter how long that period's been like i've been through big surgeries which has put put me off the hill for um you know uh, six months up, up to almost a year mm-hmm. at times and, and you know you, you get you get a bit down you know yeah. and it takes it takes a bit to pull yourself back out and and you just oh, i don't know you find inspiration all around you to do that mm-hmm. and uh, I guess you know, if you've got someone telling, dragging you out to, yeah, to yeah, get yeah. into it again, and you're you certainly you can get back into it, but I think um, for me, or I. I like to do something midweek as well as just weekend hunting. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm just a recreational hunting guy. I'm not working in yep. hunting. So, you know, if I just did hunting in the weekends and You just hurt every weekend. You just hurt every weekend. Yeah. It's less painful if you can fit a couple of days in the week to run your dogs with a bicycle or yeah. or do some kind of exercises that, um you know, that, that just keep your uh, joints mm-hmm. moving. Mm-hmm. So how is the knee? The knee is not brilliant, but no. it's better it's better to be moving and keep it yep. keep it moving. And um, you know, I, I think um you can push through a bit of pain and yep. and hopefully uh it will continue on to be reasonable for some time yet. Yep. Yep.
1: No, no, I totally agree. So so touching on that and the reason I asked about the knee is because obviously you have your social media stuff and you've got a following and people I always wanted to check in, and I see the old comment like, "When's the next video coming out?" and so forth. Like, we'll, we'll talk about your pages, I guess, specifically a wee bit later on. But like, how how have you seen? Well, like, have you seen the impact of social media on hunting, and in particular, piggling? Well, what what do I see from from social media is we, we we've we've now got a culture where we can put out material. To the masses, without any real thought, and and we don't have any. I don't think there's the majority of people don't actually have an understanding of how far that can travel, and uh, one one you know and I I appreciate the excitement of wanting to share what we do. Like I'm not knocking that. Like we we want to keep that. We want to be proud of hunting and stuff, but. In my mind, I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't know how I came about this thought, but I was like, with today's day and age, it would be the equivalent to me sending my pig hunting photos in to a New Zealand hunting magazine, be whatever it is, and Women's Weekly, and the Time magazine, and, and, and crossing all those demographics and seeing how they felt about it. And and when once I put it in, that in my head, I was like, ooh, maybe I should be a wee bit more tasteful with what it is I put out there, because if one magazine was all hunters and they were all for it, but then the other three or four or however many magazines were non-hunters, that what they're seeing is very vast from what I'm trying to portray. And I, I guess that's that's where social media sits with me. Like, I, I think it's a great thing. We need to be proud of what we're doing. We need to be sharing it with those that don't understand hunting and are uninformed. But we need to take the editorial role with that. Like we need to make sure the picture is tasteful and respectful, and actually tells a little story about what it is we have done and the way we're feeling at that time. Um, and th- that's my thought. I don't know how you you feel about
2: it. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting pro- progression. I, I guess I've I've probably came through the time when YouTube's kind of really just started getting kicked in in New, in New Zealand, anyway and i i didn't i didn't really know at the time when i first started publishing a, a movie onto the world wide web <laughs> what i was even up to and why i was doing it um but it, it it's amazing now that from from those times when it was just someone would sometimes go on a PC mm-hmm. to watch a, an old non digital video, <laughs> yeah. Um they call it analog is it? Yeah. analog video, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know you're on on some old slow internet system that would the video <laughs> yeah. would stall for half the video, and yeah. so it's gone from those times when it it wasn't actually that watchable, and yeah. the quality and of, of things you know could be whatever it wanted yeah. to be, and and now with um, you know. The improvement in cameras as well in the digital era, mm-hmm. um, the quality, well, the quality of the actual images, mm-hmm. the the videos don't have some of them are not necessarily very very good or yeah. whatever, but the the actual quality of the the imagery, the clarity and the clarity well. yeah. and uh, can be very very good now, and to the mm-hmm. stage where people can project it up to their big screen TV, yeah, and things like YouTube have become TV. Yep. So people are bored with just watching TV shows um, on and Sky is dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. YouTube and, and people's homemade videos are becoming the new age television.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's raw content. It is, it's and, real. and people
2: are really, really enjoying it. And that's mm-hmm. why we see a, a real surge in you know, recreational type mm-hmm. videos, whether it's a yeah, mountain and, biking amateur, video yeah, or yeah. amateur yep. recreation being put on film and, and drone footage and stuff like that. People... People watch anything. Mm -hmm. You put a Mm -hmm. video Mm -hmm. out of, you know, half of whatever, and yeah, we've got the ability to watch what you want to watch at an instant. And so it's become so accessible to everybody, and and becoming um, more watched than ever before. Mm -hmm. And with that, by accident, becomes some responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like to think that I we try to or we should try more to. To keep within our demographic, mm-hmm. so if you're publishing things that you know could be seen to be not so great to some animal ethics people mm-hmm. or or people that don't understand what we're doing, then you know you can you can reduce where you publish that by mm-hmm. by making an unlisted video perhaps, mm-hmm. and and then it doesn't have to be public, mm-hmm. and then you can put it on. Uh, social media forums that are closed to the public or that are just within groups that are interested in that, in mm-hmm. that stuff. So, you know, pig, pig hunting, closed groups um, and forums, internet forums, those mm. sort of thing, hunting forums. So things that are a special interest. Those things can be published there and everyone's going to, uh, most people are going to then watch it and kind of enjoy it yeah. and, and get it. I have an interest in Without that. having the wider public perception coming in and getting mm-hmm. animal rights activists putting comments on your video saying I'm going to come and kill your whole family mm-hmm. and stuff I like that. I had one today. Yeah. I had one from a lady um, anyways and it
1: was of a picture of a moose and our comment was, uh, you know, great moose, you know, happy client two days to get the meat out, like, you know, it sort of gave a quick description of what it was. And basically she said, um, we as humans are the real pests. Perhaps we should be shooting each other. And I replied to her tastefully and I said, uh, perhaps whilst you've got an, an issue with what it is I've put up here, uh, you take a longer look at yourself and the words you've just said, because in no way would I have ever said anything like that. Um, and I said, and, and, and again, this is a deliberate hunting uh, page, mm. and uh, you know, I didn't. You didn't have to come and look here. So perhaps go and look in your in your own sort of area of fields and where your interest lies. Uh, basically, her reply was a bunch of swear words and a bunch of derogatory assaults to me. So uh, it, it happens, and, you, and it's it's a really unfortunate, I guess, you know, reality again. And it ties back to that social media aspect and the fact that you can be whatever you want to be and have no social attachment to what it is you're putting out there. Uh, and, and that's that's her issue, not mine. I'm not too you know, emotionally upset about it, but it's the reality. But um, but yeah, like you say, we can do a little bit more around, um, I guess containment mm. is probably the mm. right word. Like you
2: know, like uh, I, th- I think if like a young guy has his new pup and his new pup is you know on a pig, mm-hmm. and, and he's making a video of that and he wants to show ten of his friends. He can make that a closer video and show his ten friends. Yep. He doesn't have to show the public, and that yep. and that's fine. And um, as long as people are, are aware that they can find ways to contain those yep. that footage yep. and, and understand published,
1: understand why it might be beneficial to the hunting public to do so. Like that, that's probably something you know. Like cause I, I fully understand what you're saying, but the reason for them to keep that one private is because the the uninformed or the the anti's or whatever they they can use that against us or potentially use that against us it's in some form um, and that that would probably be I guess part of the consideration you know, knowing that there's ability to keep it contained but why you might keep one video contained or more contained versus another one
2: hmm. there's there's definitely been a much higher interest by MPI uh, the Minister of Primary Industries uh, in actually Um, taking legal uh, status against um, some people for animal ethics reasons on New Zealand hunting videos. And that is something we need to consider as well. Not only our own personal moral responsibility to protect our own sport and our Mm -hmm. own interest for the future and and not to show uh, anti-animal rights people, anti-hunting people, that um you know show things in a bad light we need to show it in a really nice and the best way we can yep. um but to uh, there's also opportunities for for people to be taken to court yeah and you, so you know, we have to also be careful of yeah, that be slightly mindful of that yeah yeah, well, yeah and yeah it's it's not the main reason but no, 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 it's but a reason it's... to be care- careful as well and, yep. and some of those things are around uh, I mean, even if you were to wound a deer and then mm-hmm. and then film that deer, say, trying to walk. Yeah, post-shot, yeah. yeah and- but
1: even, I've seen ones, I've just got back from Scotland, and um, what they've now cut their videos down off is even when they're actually good ethical heart shots and the deer sort of springs off two or three shots, noticeably hit, but mm. within that screenshot doesn't die instantly, um, they're actually editing that right down now. Mm. They're not even having that on there, whereas, you know anybody that's done enough or been privileged to that knows that that's actually a really good ethical shot and it, you know it's not inhumane at all but it's the perception of you know and it's it's one of those gray areas i know for I, sure
2: i i think you know if, if you're acting lawfully and, and doing your best to you know, um put that animal out of its misery as quickly as possible um yeah you're you're doing the right thing. And if you mm-hmm. show that on your videos, then yeah, you should be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, ge- I guess it's a, it's a little bit of a a, a gray area as mm-hmm. to how far that goes. Yeah. And, and to the point where people don't want to, you know, on a TV show, they cut out the gutting of an animal. Yeah. Whereas I, I love to show that stuff because that's what's yeah. training people and training yeah, yeah. like young people. Well, and then young that's people. the real in it. Like that's the. Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess on, social media and, and YouTube and things like that, you you have those opportunities whereas T V shows go an extra further amount of responsibility where they've got to cut even deeper. Yeah. Yep. And and I, I can see why they would have to do that because their demographics is trying to be a lot wider. Mm-hmm. Whereas with people just putting their amateur films on the internet, they're not thinking about their demographics yeah, 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 at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well
1: and then they shouldn't need to. Like, you know, it is a, like it is a fine balance between yeah, and, and, and like I say, I, I advocate being proud of what we do and being proud of the the individual experience, you know. Because for some people, that first pig is their best pig, and that first year ideally shot very well, but maybe sometimes not. That's the reality. Is still maybe their first year, like you know, like there's it's a, it's a tough one. But then, so shift shifting the the talk around social media, like you 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 publish articles and video often with, well, with reasonably regular. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what, what is your ambition with that, or what is
2: your, why, why do you take the time and effort to do that? It, it is a lot of time and effort, and it really is just because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's really not much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... As people have probably, some people have been aware of, I've tried to enter in some sort of commercial activities around that to try and bring in something for, yeah, for that effort. Yeah,
1: justify the time. Uh, <laughs> and I
2: tell you, that's the, one of the toughest things you could ever yeah. try and do. And yeah. and everyone in, in New Zealand that's had a go at that sort of thing knows that, that it's yeah. really tough in this country particularly. Yeah. Um, just We're just too small a country to really be able to create big advertising platforms yeah. through... Yeah. Through that kind, those kind of channels, and um, it's it's that so that's been really not so rewarding, I guess. Yeah. But um, and people will, you know, sponsors could give you um, equipment and jackets mm-hmm. and things like that. But at the end of the day, that doesn't pay a mortgage. It doesn't pay a mortgage. They're nice perks, but they don't, yeah, they and don't they're pay perks. And, and you know, for young guys, they see you, know, you might have a, a perk or two, and mm-hmm. and that's exciting, and they want to get into it because they see those perks as important things. But yeah. and that's really cool. Um, but as time goes on you, you sort of you get over that stuff yeah, yeah, but yeah. and but for me I'm lucky because that wasn't my driver and it mm-hmm. never really has been and I started out with um, doing a filming from a, quite a, a long time ago you know mm-hmm. 20 odd years ago I'd drag a video camera out and um, you could you had tapes and you'd, yep. you'd make it you'd, and then yep. I'd get on an old huckery computer and roughly edit these things up and eventually we were on compact discs and and i would give the tapes and compact discs to my friends who had children
3: mm-hmm. and
2: they would watch the the children would sit and and they said you know they could buy as many wiggles videos as they wanted but they would watch these hunting videos yeah. over and over and over and then these parents would say oh you give us some more yeah, that yeah. the kids want in the next series and and yeah. it really was just about that and and then when 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 i noticed youtube i YouTube had probably been around for a long time but I realised that oh actually I could just put it on there and send them these guys the links, a link yeah. and, you know, some of my friends didn't even know what an email was back <laughs> then but now that, that's, that network and you know, you've got Facebook and social media and yeah. even some of the old boys are on that stuff you can send a link to somebody and their kids can watch it on their big screen TV at mm-hmm. home just the same and it, it just really developed from that and, and it really hasn't been a lot more than that and, and just yeah. that um, some people took an interest in, and particularly young people were taking a real
1: I was interest. I it almost like the way you're wording it, it almost feels like a an add on to the conversation we had earlier about you sharing hunting with young, you know, younger people on the field. This is kinda of like your add on just to spread the masses a little bit further, you know?
2: I guess I'm always fairly mindful that young people are, are really hanging on your every word because mm-hmm. I, I sometimes meet up with these young guys that come up and, and want to talk about it, and and they they have remembered every word oh, yeah. you said, and yeah. then you, it really hits home that yeah. oh, I better watch what I say, and so yeah. I try to minimise your swearing yeah. and, and gore and things because yeah. because of that. And oh,
1: the young the younger generations, you know, are actually really amazing at remembering, like as a skill set. I have it just with likes of ultimate oe like i'll be at a, a booth or something and like this 13 12 13 year old will come and talk to me and then they'll come back five years later and they'll be like oh i spoke to you when i was 13 yeah you know, i've got that look on my face where i'm like oh yes i remember but i've got no idea at all like you know it's just it is that they're, they're they're really good like that but that that's that is a good you know like it like the, the moral aspect of why you were doing it like i like that I think it's a really good thing. And I, I was actually very similar, you know, back when I used to film. I remember all my cousins spending essentially their summer holidays in Alexandria when it was 30 degrees inside watching pig hunting videos, <laughs> which is probably a little bit of counterproductive compared, you know, compared to getting outside and swimming and whatnot, but um, just hours and hours. And when I think back to what it was, it was literally hours and hours of dogs barking. It was just bailing pigs and, and you know, the other pigs were... Comfortable, and the dogs were comfortable, so I'd just film I just filmed them. you know, for hours it was just I could. I don't think I could watch it now, but th- back then it was it was everything, and you know, and a lot like, like I say, my little cousins just watched it and watched it and watched it. But, um, so,
2: and, and I guess that's why because you you've got those people that are, are you, you think well these guys are sort of new to it and maybe learning, and so I've kind of sometimes. Added that kind of focus, you know, a little bit of kind of teaching in yep. there or something. Yep, yeah, there's definitely
1: some educational aspects to your film or your, you know, your video, but even firsthand when I've been on hunts with you and the kids have been there, there's definitely educational aspects to what you do 100%. No mm,
2: doubt in that. It's all by accident, but no, no, it's good, it's good,
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we need. Um, so I guess, I guess to step away from that and get straight back into the hunting stuff, do you have? now with with the amount of hunting you've done um and i guess the experiences you've had like do you have any ambitions like is there still something you're you, you're hoping to achieve is there a species is there a type of hunt is there like do you have anything that is still
2: uh still yet to be achieved i guess in, in sean's hunting I don't have major aspirations for trophy hunting, like a a species that I want to get a greater and better tar or chamois or or red stag or boar. I I don't really have that in me so much. I'm not saying I won't take that opportunity if I see it, if I see a a bigger beast than I've seen before. And I've been on a lot of tar hunts lately where I haven't haven't pulled the trigger Mm -hmm. because, you know, my... My standards are a lot higher than they used to be, yeah. and and it's the same with red stags and and chamois. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more interested in and in just being there and enjoying the adventure. And and if the chance comes to uh, to take an opportunity like that, I'll, I'll have a go. But mm-hmm. I, it's not something I'm specifically looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I'm I'm I am really interested in in now the future of hunting, and and I. I've never really known how to approach it much. And I, I recently, in, in all my hunting time, I, I've never been a member of a club or an affiliated with anything. And I I, I haven't really known what I could do to give something back to hunting um, that's been so good for me, mm-hmm. uh, apart from taking young people out. And so uh, I recently joined the New Zealand Deerstalkers Association. It was something that I never thought I would do. Um, it's it's a, an organisation that, I guess has has had some some history that that wasn't uh, didn't sing didn't really resonate with me very well. There was no problems, but I just it just didn't have a calling for me to be of any benefit to my life or whatever. But now I can see that um, it's one of the only channels that I can take to you know give something back and formally to formally have a way to provide some funding Mm -hmm. to help support um, the hunter's cause and and, and fight for hunter's rights in in a political way. Um, There's really not much else going on and the the NZDA I know supports the Game Animal Council who do sit in Parliament and and so if you want to fight a battle for the future of hunting, you've really got to fight it from the inside, it's no good it's no you've good to, you know, battling it. Yeah, from.
1: maybe not the inside, but you've got to sit in a comparative seat, don't you? Like, you've got to look across the table at them to yeah, really have yeah. that say. And
2: and I think um, the NZDA, to me, seems to be changing just in recent times. And, you know, I've seen a bit more activity on social media and, and trying to engage with a new group of people. And, and that's really, I, I really like that, to see that happening. And I think they're all, also... Um, showing what they are doing for hunting, and and I didn't know some of these things, and and now that I'm seeing that, my eyes are a bit more opened. Yeah, a bit more appreciation. I, I have an appreciation for that, and, and see that that there there aren't that many options for hunters as a, as a group to um, be combining united. efforts yeah. and united, that, and yeah. because hunters have not been very united historically. Not, not at all. And, right. and 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 for me, it's you know maybe it hasn't been the what I thought was the opportunity to be united in the past, but it's the only one really, really. um, There are, you know, there's, there's, I guess, clubs and things like that. Yeah, small affiliations. Affiliations. And, um, and yeah, so I I recently joined the NZDA just to, you know, hopefully to start the process of giving something back and um, with my own hunting aspirations. um, I don't know, I I think it's more about my own... um, my fitness and, and keeping keeping as
1: young as I can yeah, for as yeah. long as I can. <laughs> How long can you keep that energizer battery
2: going for? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And that, that's a good way to be. Um, you know, like I, I have species that I want to hunt, but I like, I, I like the fact that within hunting, everybody has their own drive. And mm. I, I think that's a great thing, you know. Like, um, but so with it, without, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole like we know, you know, that we didn't want this conversation to be about anything political. But um, obviously, there's a lot going on publicly, like, and it becomes public very quickly because of social media around 1080 and tar and stuff. Like, without being specific, like, if you, you know, based on a guy that's grown up on the west coast, I would assume has been privy to poison or, or toxin application um, or mass ground control work, or, or sort of, I guess. Non-natural impacts on species and stuff. Have you seen much change, or what is it that you've seen or learnt, or you know? And I mean, you don't have to share your public
2: value on it. Just you know, as, as an experience, have you been or shared or anything? I, I have spent a lot of time in the bush in South Westland because that's where I came from, and I continue to return to visit there. And it's an area that has been subject to you know, toxins and, and, and other control measures down there um and i've i've been able to you know make some sort of assessments of before and afters i guess and um i it hasn't it i don't like the idea of using toxins uh because it's uh, because of the suffering that it causes animals that's my one of my main reasons behind you know not enjoying that mm-hmm. philosophy mm-hmm. it's just it's just so uh it's just so nasty to um to have to kill animals in that way. Um, However, I I also have been able to see changes in populations of wild animals, possums and and rats and and also our our big game species that over time in areas I've seen changes where I sort of get concerned that hunters and um, ground control operators and things on their own are not the only solution to Perhaps keeping the numbers under control of, of those kind of creatures that are mm-hmm. running around there. And, and as a as a kid, I I really enjoyed birds um, growing up because I I lived in the bush. My house was right in the bush, I used to climb the trees and talk to the birds. So I, I I mean I've known birds, all the native birds from a young age, and seen. Um, you know, I was really excited to see a red crown parakeet when I was a, a young guy. In the bush, and I remember my my uncle used to say to me, "Don't don't tell anyone you saw one of them, because Doc is going to come and shut down <laughs> the the farm and and this sort of thing." So, it was really uh, to see a red crown parakeet was something unusual, and um, I it's that is definitely one bird that I've seen make a massive comeback after the use of some toxins in those areas. There's been a, a rise in the numbers of those birds. And, and And other types of birds too have have definitely increased um you know well out after that that type of control work has been done um, so i i' I have seen those kind of outcomes um i I actually went up a valley uh, a big west coast valley that 's got a really popular walking track on it um, two weeks ago went for a massive walk up there, went right up to the heads of the valley and it was ten years since I went up there it 's a really beautiful area um. Um, I ten years ago, i went up there hunting, and I was after, um, chamois or tar. And I, when we we got away up this valley, we saw both species. We saw yeah you know, a few chamois and a few tar, and the hunting was good. I I took both species on that trip ten years ago. Um, I didn't see many possums in that valley. Um, I also we saw blue duck, um, and weka up in this mm. area. And and the the wicker are quite unusual because South Westland doesn't have many weka, but there's a couple of valleys there that do, and they're kind of an isolated sort of subspecies of the yeah. wicker in a way. And and so so it was really cool to see them in that spot and our cheeky fellows around the house. They are and, they're quite cool, aren't Yeah, and the and the blue duck are, are really nice animals. And when and ten years later I went to the same valley, and this was two weeks ago, and the noticeable changes for me were that the tar numbers were a lot more. So there was there was tar literally standing beside the track watching everyone walk by. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, very few chamois. So the chamois I saw were way down the gorges of the valley and they weren't up in the parts that I'd seen them 10 years before. That there was uh, more tar by far. And um, when I, I went up, I saw a big boulder and I thought, I'll go chase that through the big boulders and under the forest. And, there was um you know numerous trails to follow of, of the tar, you know, using uh, creating new trails in mm-hmm. the bush there and and the bush was you know, fairly well hammered by tar to be honest. Yeah. And so, you know, there's definitely definitely in that in that particular valley I noticed a, a change in the tar population to an, an increase in the numbers there. Um, which was cool to see, but I also love to see chamois as well. So it would have been nice to still have have that mixture. I also noticed that um the fuchsia tree there, which is a tree that's pretty susceptible to possum damage, was was really hammered by possums mm. and well, I presume by possums, the, the tree was really knocked back there yeah. badly. Um, and and a lot a lot of possum sign around. And I I never saw a blue duck and I never saw a weaker in three days of being there. Right. And and I I I don't know what's going on. I don't know why those changes have occurred. I actually, I think toxins have definitely been used in that valley. Well, they have, and the mm-hmm. like within that ten-year period, there has been toxins put there. Mm-hmm. Um, what has caused the changes in population there? I don't know, but um, yeah, that, that doesn't mean that um, something should be done. I, I think so. I think, I think there's you know those kind of situations. The the, the it's swinging against the favour of some of our native birds and. Yep. And I, I, I still like to see the native birds as much yep. as I like to hunt. Yeah, exactly. And and so yeah, I think in that valley there's definitely been some failures to, to do the right thing, I guess, by our native species. And yeah, and so so I'm kind of, I, I don't know. I I I don't like the use of the toxins, and I don't I don't agree with it. But I sometimes you sort of see that. You know, what what else can you do mm-hmm. to fix uh, this kind of problem? And um, so, I, I, from what I've personally seen, you know, firsthand with these things, I, I guess there's there's cases where you just you just have you know, there has to be something done. Yeah, I don't th- I don't know that those kind of toxins are the right thing to do, but something has to be done. So you can sort of understand why those options would have to be taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know.
1: What? It's, it's It's a real difficult one. I've I've had a few conversations around this, and it's kind of like, you know, is it is it the best of a bad situation currently? You know, and are we looking for something better still? And if so, is that something we've got to be prepared to sit with? You know, like not not personally, I don't like the poisons either. I don't like the idea of poison, but I really don't like the idea of not having any New Zealand native birds. Like, you know, like that resonates with me more than mm. is this the right way or wrong way yeah you know? so it's, it's it's a really tough one I, and i don't have the education and i haven't done the research to be really specific you know like mm. it's um, but I've, you
2: know. I've never i've never um broached that topic myself on social media or anything yeah. before i i stay well clear of it because i just don't i don't know um you know what 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 it would be like if if they did nothing at all, and I, I'm not too so, sure what is a better solution. So, I I just don't know what to say. Yeah, and and it's really that's what's really difficult. It's easy to get caught up in, in the emotion of, yeah. you know, animals being killed and and your your the animals that you love to hunt being killed. yeah. It's as hard as a hunter because you know? you're like,
1: oh my god, they, you know, the red deer are going to die in there, and it's like, well, is was that point of view like you know bringing my ego into that? Was that was that big you know was that really from a genuine point of trying to save the New Zealand native birds or was that because I was worried about my digging killed and me not being able to harvest them you know like that's sort of my internal checklist when I go through it when I see something around the poison or 1080. like I've, I, first of all I check myself to make sure it's not just for myself if, you know that's that's my I, I don't have a right or wrong I'm not I'm, I'm against it but i'm I'm not I'm against the poison, but i don 't have a better solution, and until there is a better solution and until the evidence really stacks up that there is a better solution then uh, you know i 'm happy for something to be done to try and
2: maintain or improve the habitat and the numbers of native birds right. you just got to hope that um, that even the contractors that apply it are, are learning a lot of lessons. Um, yep from mistakes that have been made and, and there are some obvious mistakes that have ended up you know, hitting the media and and, and, and it's been really bad news and um, created a lot of negativity around that and I, I think you know, there's a lot of responsibility to get those things dead right and yep. when they do have to use the toxins that it's done in a, in a way that's uh, responsible, yep. very responsible.
1: Yep. Moving away from the current issues, um, because I guess largely part of the issues that have come about have probably part of the problem with them is that it's actually a historical pattern. So it's, we've done and had similar issues 30 years ago, 40 years ago, not I'm sure I'm my age now, but you know, so how, I guess, Sean, based on when your family were hunting and the new hunting as a youth, like how have the, the opportunities
2: in hunting changed? Well, since that period when I started my hunting, the, I guess the, the the helicopter competition was was really, really at a peak because it was after the time when um, while well, helicopters first came and I started deer recovery, and the deer recovery was extremely lucrative. Then there was the, the capturing for deer to put onto farms. Everything was commercial. Deer was uh, so commercial. Yeah. That Big commodity, eh? They were skimmed right out of the hills, and, and that that has changed a hell of a lot and and yes there's still people taking carcasses commercially and it's nowhere near what it used to be i can Mm -hmm. assure you that Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a very minor part of of what happens in the hills these days although it's there and some people get affected by it when they're hunting sometimes and that's a shame um it's 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 nowhere near what it used to be and for some one reason or or another, the number of deer is is much more than it used to be. Um, so, in the country in Canterbury that we used to hunt in the '90s, you could go there where you, you'd take three days to see one deer. If you if you spent three days there, now you'd you'd see you know maybe maybe thirty deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly in, in some of the um, land down in Otago and things like that, the tussock country. There wasn't even deer existing in those areas, and and I guess private farms allowed them to build up. But yep. now they're spilling over into dockland land, and there's there's a lot of good opportunities on public land now. Oh, um, Where there is numerous deer and and, and quality the... deer, like quality, quality
1: deer, like they're not, you know, there's sort of that stigma that comes with shooting something off the back of a farm
2: versus on Dockland. land. But I, I know
1: there's some fantastic heads on Dockland. land. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. um, the that whole thing about the quality of of a trophy. Oh, that's later. That's right. You <laughs> have to do some cutting, there, mate. <laughs> that's right.
1: I'll try. Either that or I'll just leave it all in there.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the the um, the number of deer is just is just so much greater than it was, and it's really built up uh, some good experiences for people going out hunting that it's successful, they see deer, Mm -hmm. Um, people get to take a photograph of a live deer and get really excited about that and post it on social media and their mates are are chuffed that they they, they photographed a live deer and then if someone gets to to shoot a deer, well, those opportunities are all much greater than than what they were back in in the 90s, that's for sure. And so that's built on itself to be a lot more hunters Mm -hmm. and um, I guess some of the cow parks would have more utes in them definitely than they used to but there's still opportunities to find your own space in the South Island, that's for sure, um, and on public land. You can still get away from it all and, mm-hmm. and not see too many people around in, in the South Island. I'm not too sure about the North Island. I think it's a bit <laughs> different up there. Yeah, a little bit different. But um, I, those opportunities are, are better than they, they ever were for for deer species, for chamois and tar. I think um, at the moment, it's it's at an absolute peak. At a peak, yeah. At a peak, and. I mean that that could get diminished by things like the the tar killing done by the, yep. the conservation department. Those things might diminish it, but it's it's not going to take it back to a level that we saw way back then. Mm. Yeah, I, I like definitely
1: growing up in Central Target from when I started hunting to to now, and I largely think it like you touched on that the amount of private land down there. Because I remember when I you know, when I was a bit younger and we were sort of starting out, it was like oh no, don't shoot the deer down low, we're looking after them, or only shoot a or leave the hinds. It was all sort of different ideas and theories. And then all of a sudden, a couple of three years later, and a couple of good springs and whatnot, like, populations are uh, actually quite high. And then, with the, you know, the dock, you know, getting back some land or vice versa, you know, all of a sudden, the public areas down in Otago and, you know, mid, mid-lower Canterbury, like, there, there's a lot of, hunting there to go out and do and enjoy and, and and hunt, yeah, it doesn't, not necessarily harvest animals. I don't mean by, because there's more animals, you just go and shoot everything, but to actually enjoy a outdoor hunting based experience, like you say, to film some stuff, to see some stuff, to, to challenge yourself with different stalks or whatever you like, there's, it's actually a really good weekend. And now that, now I resonate hunting, with how my dad got me into fishing. He'd take me where it was overpopulated so I had fish to reel and catch hmm. because if I sat where there was only well, limited fishing I'd just get bored and move on and it wasn't an interest and, you know, so it was sort of a bit like that. Now, like, you know, people that get into hunting it's probably quite high octane compared to how it used to be especially when you started. You yeah, know.
2: yeah.
1: Massively different. And
2: and that, that then goes out to all the, the suppliers of, of equipment for hunting mm-hmm. the sporting stores and Um, those guys are creaming it, you've got Mm -hmm. to admit they Mm -hmm. are doing very, very well. Um, and you know, is it time for those guys to start saying, Well, actually, we're going to give something back too, and and start to protect the future of of hunting as well? Because you know, they've been creaming it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and and the number of hunters around, well, they do that in America
1: with the the Pittman Robertson
2: Act, yeah, I think it's 10 percent, is it,
1: yeah, of everything firearm and hunting related, goes straight back into conservation and management. Yeah. You know. And, yeah, they, and it was the, those suppliers actually generated that. So that they... It was their idea. Allied, ...rallied together and, yeah, yeah, brought that forward.
2: So it'd be great to see it's a challenge for yeah. uh, the, <laughs> the providers of hunting products yeah, yeah. in New Zealand to uh, <laughs> to actually follow something like that and, and give mm-hmm. something back themselves as well to protect their futures too. You know? mm-hmm. um, well, there's a lot of, you know, like especially...
1: Not talking about it, but the the latest tar management strategy or you know, implementation, like there's a lot of guys in the professional hunting sector, be it guiding or clothing or associated industries, that are fearful of the outcome. You know, like they've got a lot invested in this, mm-hmm. so they, yeah, definitely, you know, not only just as a private um, as a private position, but there definitely maybe some corporate position. In fact, that they need to. Stand up and be yeah heard and,
2: and and when you see a, a, you see something like a threat to the tar population at the moment there's a lot of reaction and mm-hmm. and that's a shame because it would have been better if it was proactive and there was a fund available and yep. and and that was ready to go mm-hmm. and so we've got to think about what our future battles are going yep. to be yep. and, and and protect ourselves there and, and I, in pig hunting there is a New Zealand pig hunters association um, I'm not too certain about what exactly they do or what what where they where where the funding goes to mm-hmm. help support the future of but that's their the ideal is to protect the future of that sport, and so you know where, where does that all fit in and, and and what's going to be the the thing down the track that we don't know at the moment that's going to hit us that we're going to have to fight. Yep. And and a you know, yeah. I one
1: hundred percent agree, and uh, I've actually spoke about it publicly before the fact that. You know we probably be, as hunters should be paying um you know to do the things we do uh and i'm i'm not it doesn't even have to be a vast amount of money like but just a little bit and it wouldn't it wouldn't i, I am an advocate for the fact that that money might go deliberately to the people that are doing the helicopter shooting as management you know to 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 create a medium in population um to prevent the need when the venison prices are high, they just go hard and shoot the stags, or, you know, like, just... And I get it. They're in business as well. Like, I I get it all. I'm not naive enough just to be ignorant about it. Like, but if perhaps there was a fund that it became a management strategy that coincided with venison recovery, you know, Mm. for other reasoning, and that was partly funded by hunters, then I think there's longevity with a plan like that. I'm not saying that's the only option, but, you know, a plan... Like that, that showed a commitment from hunters and an understanding from hunters that an averaged out uh, species or you know an averaged out management unit number is better than a peak and trough, mm. you know, and I,
2: I think it really is over the long term. Um, so, it's going to sit pretty well with the hunting groups to subsidise the. Um, I know. Yeah, so sub- subsidise an aerial operator. Well, yeah, animals, and, but but, um, but putting
1: a lot a lot around it. I'm not just talking about said helicopter getting paid more. Like they might have a regional contract to manage X amount of numbers, mm. and there could be a your survey that said, out of these catchments or this specific area, you're only allowed to take 200 hinds this year, and you know you either be part of this or you don't, and you know and uh, there's pros and cons, and there's a whole lot of admin that goes with that, you know, mm. but. I think there's more longevity with that, and I would rather myself and it's only my opinion I would rather know that somebody goes out and takes x amount and they are all hinds and young and and you know selective, and the population was always at a at a medium that allowed for recreational users professional users there was always stock there for longevity, but it was managed the impact was managed you know to our other flora and fauna mm. um don't know. It, We're know. still
2: a long way off off getting to those kind of um, points, but we've got to start somewhere. And I we've think, got to start um, talking. We've got to start uh, thinking about, it, like you say, paying for our hunting, mm-hmm. whether it's a license or whatever. It's not. It's something that we've taken for granted too long, yep. and and we get a lot for
1: our money, or well, or no money at this point. Well, very little. Like when you talk about a couple of ballot fees and so forth. Mm. We get a lot for it, you know. We, I'm a, I'm a passionate fisherman as well, and I pay to trout fish. I can tell you, I hunt a lot more than I trout fish, mm. and the guys that are duck shooting, they pay for that too.
2: Um, we don't at the moment, really. You know, um, I'm definitely not against um, having a, a a license to go out and, mm-hmm. and do some hunting, but um, it's. What I what I am concerned about is what what responsibilities are then put on people that go with that license? Like, you know, yep. with duck shooting, yep. you you don't do this and you can't shoot that, and you don't. Yep. That that's that also becomes part of that system. Yep. And, and at the moment, you know, a young guy can go out into the hills and shoot a velvet stag or a, a hind mm-hmm. that's in fawn or whatever, and yep. you know, as long as he's being running within his own ethics and morality, mm-hmm. he can do whatever he likes yep. and um, I kind of like that. Yep, no, and, I, I, and I, I and do, and that's agree our, with as that. part of our culture. And, and I don't want to. I, I, although I want a, a system in place that's going to protect the future, I, I don't want that to be really diminishing our, yeah. what we have as an opportunity in our culture of, of hunting mm. in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah. It all comes down to you know how things are managed, and and and, and the the way the way I see it when I boil it right down is. There's plenty of other countries that have gone through and created different management strategies and, and, and looked after resources differently and, and and for good and bad outcomes, but we don't seem to look to learn from anything around that, you know, and that that concerns me. Like we're lucky that we still have all these native, um, well, diminishing numbers, but native birds and the, and the bats and so forth and the, the the reason for that is our youthfulness as a country. So as a little brother to all the other countries around the world, like why don't we look for learning opportunities and look mm-hmm. for leadership and, and try something instead of, um, I don't know, just sitting down and accepting that. that, that I've I'm gone I'm waffling more more again now. Um, you love it. I do love it. I actually do love it. But if we go back to hunting opportunities, one thing... I'd like to ask you is, you know, your perception of trophy, because um, I know my perception of trophy is changed or changing, um, and and it's one of the aspects I really love about hunters and hunting and guys that do a lot is they actually all bring a different version of trophy, and I really like that. I think that's something that really ties us back to being good ethical humans, you know, like and. Um, I just, I guess, I'd like to know, like, because growing up in the West Coast, in the bush, I know, arguably, because there will always be exceptions to the rule, the heads wouldn't be as good as what you might shoot in the tussock on some of these Canterbury, you know, gullies or Otago gullies. Like, but what would sit more with you? Like, what would be your trophy? Like,
2: where... I think for me, it's it it goes area by area. Yep. So if I'm in the um, Westland. Uh, southwestern area which has um, been subject to genetics from Otago that have come over the ranges and, and infiltrated that area then you know to, to get a, a nice uniform 12 pointer is just a dream an absolute dream, it doesn't have to be the heaviest longest stag in the world mm. but for it to be pretty even and, and even and, and symmetrical with the Otago genes and living in the west coast bush um, that 's that 's a great trophy and i so you've you 've got to think about each region to its its yeah. a, its capability and we, and when you um when you see the genetics of an animal that you know is from a long history you you get a sense of pride in, yeah. in that animal and in otago of course the uh, you know you can find some that are similar genetics but they, they can be just a little bit bigger. Yep. And um so, so you're looking for that real beautiful Otago symmetry uh, symmetrical yep. head and, and you know it could just be a beautiful twelve and you know a fourteen pointer would be mag- magnificent. But mm-hmm. you know, these twelves are so such beautiful heads. I I'm not particularly interested in numbers of points, points in a stag. Yeah. I just love symmetry. Yep. And then when you 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 take another aspect like of Canterbury White yeah. Country you've got uh, um you've got the, the polter genetics which came from a completely different area and mm-hmm. i was lucky enough last year to take a stag that comes from that that region um and you know it, it was a 15 pointer and it's ugly and it's got <laughs> a it's got a big windsor throwback and 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 it's it's kind of got some really cool lower tides and then these all over the place, tops, yeah, and that is the standard polter genetics. Mm-hmm. And the Windsor throwback is from that old historic gene. And to me, I'm really proud of that head, even though it's yep. way uglier than what I would take in Otago. Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to see in a, in a true wild, you know, southern Alps environment a stag that still has that really historic, um, uh. Nature of the the head, mm. it's, and and to me, I'm really proud of, of no, that head. No. Re- regional
1: really is thin. is a great way to do it, and they do it overseas. You know, like the guys lower state of America and that shooting white tail at 130 inches, and then shooting one of Saskatchewan at 200 inches. But equally, or being more proud of the small, you know, like they they actually know to reference it to region, and I, I think that's a really it's a great thing. And you know, like I j- just got back from Scotland and um they were like sh- i actually shot one a switch so it's got short we brows just long beams mm. and that is the trophy like that's that's mounted material mm. um because it kills the other stags during fights you know and i just think how good is it like you know we saw 12 and 14 pointers but just through the influence of the guys i was with i was like oh yeah but look at that switch, you know. I was like, I was like, oh, but I really like that, and I like the fact that, you know, like, we still have the ability to to see tro- trophy and value in animals that aren't per public perception trophy. If you know what I mean, I, I like that. I think, and I think that's something we should proudly adapt. You know, like, and I know you feel the same way with me on this one. Like, if a young guy shoots an eight pointer. And that's the best stag he's got, great hands down for him like it's it's a fantastic outcome, and then you know i it, it sits so much better with them than rather somebody that's already shot twelves and fourteens and then just to shoot the eight for the for the sake of it being another stag you know i'd I'd rather somebody progress and climb up and I just think it's really a good moral indicator that that we can be proud of the animals we hunt and they don't always have to be trophy per a book. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good thing.
2: One, one of my favorite trophies that I have a full shoulder mount on my wall at home is a Stewart Island whitetail buck, which is a little tiny eight pointer. Yeah, And you know if you go to the USA, you'd be completely embarrassed and but to go to Stuart Island, and, and yep. I, I, it took me about six trips to Stuart Island to shoot a, an animal like that, mm-hmm. um, probably a, about 40 hunting days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm It'll really, take you 40 really 40 again. I'm really proud of, yeah. of that, that trophy, not because it's big, mm-hmm. but because it's something that was hard to obtain. Yep. And, and I've, I'm really proud to have it on my wall, and people come along and say, what's that little thing? And <laughs> well, that's one of my best trophies. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I know, no, that's awesome. Well, I think, we've, I think we've chewed the fat for a while. We're at, um, getting close to two hours, so... <laughs>
3: I'm sure you'll edit that down a bit. Yeah, no, I don't also, know. I um, think
2: there was plenty of content in there. And we're, and, we're actually recording this in, in Curran's house that he's <laughs> trying to put on the market and so on. If, if a dirty pig under hangs around here much longer, it might devalue the place. So yeah, exactly. I'm moving, get get moving. I'm
1: moving out of the community. One pig is enough. Um, <laughs> but on, on a serious note, like how do people follow you or, or, or keep in touch with your
2: your videos um, and so forth? I, I have a, a number of ways to, to find me. Um, I have a, a Facebook page that's open to anyone that wants to look me up just under Sean Monk. And um, I, I have a Instagram account called NZ Wild Things, and NZ Wild Things is the name of my YouTube account, so that's the way to track down the videos on YouTube, NZ Wild Things, um, of which I'd love to be making some more, and I've got plenty of footage, and I'm going to make some more. Mm -hmm. I've just had a wee uh, stall on that for now, but I'll get there. And also, I do a little bit of work with a guy called Cam Mackay, who's with a, a business run through an outfit called Point South, Mm-hmm. and point south is um you know i have an involvement with that and do a bit yep. of blogging and and putting um some content yep. onto good educational site, site. Yep. yeah and 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 we're really proud of that site and, yep. and it's a a great platform and mm-hmm. and we just we just tick away slowly with yeah, it and yeah, yeah. Well, at some away. point
1: i um i hope to have cam on here and he knows that so i shouldn't be surprised when he hears this but um but yeah so yeah points South, good good information on there um
2: yeah, I'm pretty and, easy yes. to get hold of, and, and you know, if if I, I don't consider myself an expert or anything like that, but if you know, young guys want to ask questions and things, then yeah, send me messages on um, Instagram or Facebook, and and I'll I'll do my best to answer the questions. And mm-hmm. if the question is where shall I go hunting, well, I'll do my best. Yeah, but... <laughs> I'll point out the local dock areas, <laughs>
1: but um, I'll, I'll also put links at the bottom of our um, podcast page, so. I'll have direct links so you can click on any of those and go straight to Sean's pages, be it Instagram or YouTube or whatever. So they'll be on there.
2: And thanks, Cooine, for the opportunity. It's um, this platform that you've created here with the Educated Hunter is, is something that you guys should be really proud of too. And it's it's something quite new to New Zealand and it's something that's it's going to evolve over time. And Yeah, and, yeah. it's and got I'm... a bit of growing to do, so i'm really really happy to be invited along and and i feel no, a little, I feel it's really good. humbled by that because yeah. i i don't feel like i'm that much of a a guy no. to be uh, uh sort of experienced enough to be doing this but um yeah i'm I was yeah, a bit nervous good. about coming along but it's yeah. it's gone really well and I'm, I'm happy i did it
1: no i appreciate you coming and um you know i think it's a i think it's a change in in the way we need to be you know we're a pretty humble society but you know, you are a good hunter, successful hunter, a uh, lot of experience, and there's a lot of learning to come from it. So, I think, I think you know, humble is a great attribute. But I think you know, we, we're coming through to a day and age where you know we can also be proud of having a skill set. Um, but I appreciate it, and I'm glad you sat down and did it because I know it is daunting. I know when I come up with the concept, I didn't even want to do my own podcast. I don't do it, but uh, I find them hell fun. Like I. You know, like, I've, like i like know Sean, I've hunted with Sean, but I've learned more about Sean tonight than I knew beforehand and I just really like it. I know I, I it's just good to be able to conversate at a fun but also slightly intellectual level with hunters. Like I think it's I think it's awesome. So I thank you for listening. Um and yeah, please go and check out Sean's uh, social media. Uh, be good.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Ultimate OE. Ultimate OE provides safe, unique hunting-based experiences for passionate hunters and outdoorsmen. From hunting stone sheep in the mountains of British Columbia, rutting moose on the gravel bars of the Yukon, to chasing roaring red stags in the Highland of Scotland, Ultimate OE's paid overseas experiences are designed for hunters by hunters to maximise enjoyment, learning and experience. For more information, it can be found at ultimateoe.co.nz or flick us an email, give us a call. We're always happy to talk through what kind of hunting adventure would be best for you. Thank you for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. If you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter or finally join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.